So it's Philippians 1, verses 12 to 26. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Uh, well, I always think that confidence is a strange thing. I was thinking about confidence this week, and I was thinking about a particular incident that happened a few years ago. I was on a course uh, with a group of vicars, always a strange thing being away with a group of vicars, honestly. Um, and, and as part of that course, we had to uh, spend an afternoon climbing and abseiling. Now, I wasn't made for climbing and for abseiling. I'm not a, a fan at all. I don't like heights. I have almost minor upper body strength. Uh, honestly, I'm going backwards when it comes to upper body strength. So I find it really difficult to pull myself up at all. Um, but over the years, I've been climbing quite a lot because I've worked with young people and it's one of the things you do. You take them climbing and abseiling. It's a good sort of team building exercise. So I'm familiar with the things surrounding uh, the whole climbing world. I have some knowledge of the equipment. And in fact, on this particular afternoon, I knew the instructor who was with us. I knew that he was an expert in his field. And so even though I, I don't like climbing and abseiling, never invite me to do that. My daughter, Alice, absolutely loves it and she's really good at it. I, I hate it. But even so, on that afternoon, I had confidence 
that I sort of knew what I was doing. I had confidence uh, because I'd seen stuff before and experienced it before. I had confidence in the knowledge and the expertise of the instructor that was, near, was looking after us. On the other hand, uh, one of the other vicars that was on this course uh, was really, really outside her comfort zone. She had never been climbing or abseiling ever before. I don't think she'd even seen the equipment uh, that she had to put on. As soon as we got out of the car and were walking towards this huge rock, she was almost having palpitations at what was going to happen to her. Uh, she was really not an outdoors person at all. Everything was a complete mystery to her. When she had to put on the harness, if you've ever been, you've got to put your, this ridiculous piece of equipment, and honestly, it's the most unflattering thing ever, uh, put this uh, uh, harness on. She fell over at least three times just trying to put on the harness. She was an absolute wreck as she approached the climb. And even though we were all stood there cheering her on, she is a woman who uh, speaks to often 5,000 people at a time on a stage with great confidence. Even though we were cheering her on, and normally in her normal life she's really confident, she was a wreck because her knowledge and her experience were lacking. She didn't know the instructor. She didn't understand what was going on. She'd never done it before. She was completely outside of her comfort zone. And that whole incident reminded me that our confidence comes from our knowledge and our experience of something. Any teachers amongst us uh, will know that when we're preparing pupils for exams, uh, you need to teach them the stuff. They need the knowledge to enter into the exam. But also, you need to give them experience with the exam technique that's going to be before, them, be before them. When they've got the knowledge and the experience of exam technique, they can go into that exam with so much more confidence than before. My friend Steve, he's a heart surgeon. Uh, he's taken more exams than anybody else uh, that I know. Uh, I think you've got to take lots of exams to be heart surgeons. Anybody a heart surgeon here? No, that's all right, I'm safe without saying anything completely rubbish that you all think I'm wrong about. But anyway, she, he is an expert in his area of heart surgery. Uh, and what makes him a brilliant heart surgeon is his experience. Every other heart surgeon has taken the same exams that he has. But what makes him a brilliant heart surgeon is his experience. He does so many of his uh, speciality procedure that he is an expert in that particular operation. And it's his experience combined with his knowledge that means that I would confidently put my heart in his hands if I was ever needing heart surgery. This part of Paul's letter to the Philippians is just dripping with Paul's confidence. Not in himself, definitely not in the situation that he finds himself in, but his confidence is in the gospel, which comes from his knowledge of Jesus and his experience of being Jesus' disciple, living uh, the previous years closely with Jesus. His confidence is in Jesus, in the good news of Jesus, and that gives him courage it enables him to rejoice whatever his circumstances, and it also inspires others. 
The Apostle Paul is writing this letter uh, to the church in Philippi uh, from prison in Rome. He's being held there by the emperor and he's awaiting uh, trial and possible execution uh, for believing that Jesus Christ is Lord and declaring Jesus Christ as Lord. Things aren't looking particularly rosy for Paul. He's actually uh, chained to the palace guard, the emperor's own soldiers. They'll have been taking it in turns on four-hour shifts to watch over and, uh, uh, Paul and make sure that this valuable prisoner didn't escape. Just think about Paul's situation. He's a traveling preacher. He's an evangelist. He, he's a church planter. He's, a, he's somebody who loves to go around and encourage uh, Christian leaders. And here he is, sat in a prison, chained to a, a palace guard, day in, day out, not able to physically go out and do his ministry uh, he's called and gifted for. It'd be a bit like uh, a concert pianist having their hands tied behind their back. But despite all this, despite Paul's captivity, uh, his passion for Jesus just runs through the pages of this letter. So why? Because his confidence is completely in Christ Jesus. Since he met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, um, and after spending three years uh, growing in his knowledge of Jesus as he hung out with uh, the disciples, uh, since experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit literally transform and change his life uh, and the lives of so many others, as he's experienced miracles happening before him, as he's seen incredible answers to prayer, he is completely confident in the power of the cross of Christ Jesus. He absolutely knows that the, the cross has the power to save. And all his knowledge, all his experience, the miracles he's witnessed, his relationship with Jesus gives him confidence every day that Jesus is good news for everybody. As you heard Dave speaking about last year, if you were, last year, last week, if you were here, um, you'll know that one of our, the lines of our new strategy is changing lives. Changing lives. It's right at the heart of our strategy at P's and G's. And changing lives is all about discipleship. At the heart of what God's big plan is for the whole world is discipleship. Now, just to clarify, when we talk about discipleship, we're not talking here about following a set of rules. We're not talking about taking part in some particular Bible reading plan or, or praying every day, as much as those things are really good things to do. It's not about rules. Discipleship is about relationship with Jesus. And we grow as disciples of Jesus when our confidence is in him. And that confidence comes from, from our knowledge of Jesus and our living experience of him. The Archbishop of York, John Sentamu, says this. Discipleship was Jesus' big idea and plan for the renewal of society, a catalyst and engine for building God's kingdom. A disciple lives in the way of Jesus. A disciple devotes the whole, the whole of their lives and for their whole life long to imitating Jesus Christ. A disciple invites others to become disciples 
who in turn invite others to be disciples. And he says this, as a 10-year-old, it was Christians like that who created in me a thirst for Christ, the living water. I stooped down and drank. New life flooded my whole being. John Sentamu captures something of the adventure which we are living and inviting others to join in as disciples of Jesus. This is what Paul was living out, sat in prison. We see a man who is living the way of Jesus, who has devoted his whole life, who is imitating Christ and is inviting others to come and join in uh, with the journey. Paul is almost beside himself as he writes this letter in this passage because even though he's sat in prison, he's able, even in prison, to invite others to come and experience and to know the life-changing goodness of Jesus. He says in verse 13, it's clear even amongst the whole palace guard and everyone here that I am in chains for the gospel. His hands are literally tied, but his confidence in the gospel of Jesus and his passion for others to know and experience the love of Jesus in the way that he has means that even though his hands are tied, his confidence in Jesus isn't. Nothing can silence him. This changing lives part of our strategy is not just then about God changing our lives. But it's also about each of us, as disciples of Jesus ourselves, inviting others to become disciples. And that's not my job to do it on behalf of the church. It's not Paul's or Dave's job. It's not even Josh's job, who's in charge of Alpha. It's all of our roles to come and join in. We're all invited to come and play and to ask others to come along, to invite people in, to share our faith, to imitate Jesus. Some of, his, of Jesus' last words before he went to be uh, with his Father in heaven are recorded in Matthew 28, where Jesus says this, Go and make disciples of all nations. This task is given to all of us who are followers of Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations. It's our role to go and tell others and invite folk in, invite people to join in this journey with Jesus. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was at the HTB leadership conference down at the Royal Albert Hall, and I heard a guy called uh, Michael Emmett being interviewed. He was a career criminal in South London, uh, a violent gangster. He was a drug smuggler. That's him now, aged about 55 or so. Uh, and Michael had joined his dad, Brian, uh, in the family business at a young age. Uh, they were international drug smugglers. Uh, for a while, did quite well. Until one night when they were arrested in a huge police operation in Devon, and they were caught trying to smuggle four tons of uh, cannabis into this small fishing village in Devon that had a street value at the time of around 12, uh, 13 million pounds. Him and his dad were eventually sentenced to 12 and a half years in prison. And he told us uh, that whilst in Exeter prison, they heard about the Alpha course. And uh, because it was something to do and they found out that you got biscuits, uh, they went along. And as a result of going along, they ended up, both of them, giving their lives to Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit and having their lives transformed. 
but while they were in prison uh, for the many years that they were in prison, they were transferred regularly uh, to prisons all over the UK. And, and they uh, took that as an opportunity to set up Alpha courses in each prison that they went along to. They began to introduce Alpha everywhere they went, and they, uh, he was just sort of exuding enthusiasm as he told us about the number of prisoners who had come and encountered Jesus and be tr- been transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. Prison wasn't where Michael wanted to be, obviously. It was a tough place. But it was where he found himself. And so his primary concern while he was there was to tell others about Jesus, to share his story. And God opened up opportunities time and again for him to do that and to see other people's lives transformed. The Apostle Paul wasn't a criminal. He did nothing in a sense to deserve prison apart from proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. And yet prison was where he found himself. Humanly speaking, Paul is in dire circumstances. He's suffering, he's away from his friends, he's not able to do his ministry. His life is literally hanging in the balance. At any point, he could be sent to trial and for execution. But God opens up opportunities for him while he's there to share the gospel, and he takes them. But not only that, we read in Philippians 1 that it appears that others are also being inspired and given the confidence to also share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says in th- this in verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters, he's talking about other Christians in Rome, have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Lots of people are being inspired by his confidence to share the gospel of Jesus. Lots of us here uh, knew Ray Dunn, who was part of our church family for 25 years or so, who died uh, last year. Uh, Within about five minutes of meeting Ray, when I arrived here three years ago, uh, I knew two things about Ray. I knew that he was passionately in love with hips, and he was passionately in love with Jesus. Ray told everybody about Jesus. His mates in the pub, people on the street, old friends, people who you didn't even know. Why did he do that? Because his confidence was in Jesus. He had met Jesus. He knew Jesus. Jesus was continuing to transform Ray's life. And he wanted everybody to know the Jesus that he had met. It was inspiring to hear from him. It was inspiring every time you chatted to him to hear some other mad story about somebody he told whose life needed transforming by Jesus. It inspired me and gave me confidence to share my faith as well. Paul knows that because his confidence is in Christ, other Christians in Rome are being inspired and have started to be more bold in proclaiming the gospel too. And he doesn't really care whether they're getting it all right or not, whether their motive's all right. Um, He says this, what does it matter, he says? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and for that I rejoice. Paul is so confident in Jesus. The most pressing thing for him is not his chains. It's not the fear of what might happen next. 
It's not his concern that other people are preaching the gospel of Jesus for the right motives. The most important thing for him is that people are getting to hear and to respond to Jesus. And I think the desire of all our hearts should be the same. Yes, Paul was an incredible person, an incredible gifted evangelist and missionary. But the desire of all our hearts should be like Paul's. At P's and G's, uh, we believe that as a church, Jesus should be constantly renewing us and transforming our hearts and lives. That we can be and should be growing as disciples ourselves, living his way, devoting our lives for him, imitating him, being filled with the Spirit. The purpose behind everything that we do here at church should be that Jesus is glorified and that lives would be changed. And if that happens, then we anticipate that hundreds, if not thousands of other people over the next four or five years would come to know the transforming love and power of Jesus Christ in their lives too. And that won't happen through just the events that we put on or services or alpha that will happen when every single person in this church who is a disciple of Jesus who has had our lives changed by Jesus ourselves goes out and lives our lives imitating Jesus Christ sharing confidently the gospel wherever we go someone once said uh, there are two sides to, to the discipleship coin one side says no to self and the other side says yes to Jesus. I wonder which side of the coin we find most difficult in our lives as disciples. To say yes to Jesus and devote our whole lives to Christ. Or to say no to those things of ourselves. Those things which, uh, which hinder us imitating him fully and wholly as disciples. For me, one follows on from the other. If I've said yes to Jesus, it's like I've allowed Jesus to capture my heart. And that's when the change starts to come and I'm able to say no to those things of myself that pull me away from fully following Jesus. Just think about it for a moment. What captures, what happens when something or someone captures your heart? Your perspective begins to change. That person or that thing becomes your focus. At the lens through which you see and judge other things. When someone or something captures your heart, it affects how we spend our time, how we behave, uh, how we spend our money. Ultimately, where we put our priorities. So if we've said a complete yes to Jesus, if I've allowed Jesus to capture my heart then I will say no to those things of myself. I will try to be like Jesus. I will want to imitate him. I will want to do what he does. I want to live the whole of my life with him and for him. I will want to tell others. I will be desperate for others to meet him and to experience the love and the compassion and the transformation that I've experienced and continue to experience every day in my relationship with him. I will want others to become disciples too. Paul has so allowed Jesus to capture his heart. He's so surrendered the whole of himself to Jesus that he's able to say with confidence these words in verse 21. 
For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He's living out both sides of that discipleship coin. No to self, yes to Christ Jesus. And he finds himself in a win-win situation. Uh, to live as a disciple of Jesus, even when he's facing these dire situations that he's in, is to live for and with Christ. And that gives him confidence as he lives in the fullness of life that Jesus has bought for him on the cross. But to die, to die as a disciple of Jesus, means that he still gets to live with Christ Jesus in the fullness of eternal life that Jesus Christ has bought for him through the cross. And so for Paul, his confidence in Jesus means that he is able to live for Christ, but he also knows that if he dies, it will be for gain as well. There are so many challenges for us as disciples of Jesus through this passage. Are we confident in Christ Jesus and in his gospel? Are we allowing Jesus to daily capture our hearts? Do we long to be disciples and to make disciples? So where do we start with all that? Ultimately, if we want God to change lives, it has to begin with us. God changing and renewing and reviving our own lives, our own discipleship. The evangelist Gypsy Smith once asked, was asked about the secret of revival, and he said this, Get down on your knees. Draw a chalk circle around yourself and pray. And the burden of that prayer has to be your own personal renewal. And only get up from that circle, Smith advised, when God has revived everything that is within that circle. So maybe it's not that complicated. Maybe Jesus simply wants us uh, to grow in our confidence of him. But we need to start by surrendering our all, by getting on our knees, by holding nothing back from Jesus, by asking the Holy Spirit to come and meet us and renew us and revive us as his disciples, to change our lives so that we might be used by him to go out and to make disciples.